I want to share some thoughts this morning. We had a question from Charlotte. Um, where's Charlotte? Oh, there it is. I was like, Charlotte. I know, good. Um, Charlotte asked a very good question last Sunday about um, the new heart. Like, where, where are there passages in the scripture about the new heart? And what we're trying to do, uh, what we're trying to do is um, have a, the, uh, a question answered at the beginning of the, of the time here. And then if we, have, if we have time, go into a message. But sometimes the question takes a lot, like last Sunday. But it was good, I think. You know, we talked, you know, that, that verse in Psalms that people get hung up on. If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayers. And um, I thought that was really cool, how we, that flowed. And that sin does not keep God from hearing the believer's prayers. Um, that's the whole point of the covenant, that he is merciful to all our iniquities and it's actually impossible for the believer to regard iniquity in the heart because your heart is new. And that's what brought up the question that Charlotte asked, you know, where does it teach that we have a new heart? She believes it, but she's, you know, she'd like to see it so she can teach others and so forth, which is awesome. Um, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Availeth much. Yeah, we did talk about that. I got that at the very end. I did. Yeah, I'll do it again real quick. But we did, at the very end, I said, it's not a matter, the, the word in the Greek there, that your prayers be not hindered, the word hindered in the Greek there, is not talking about God not wanting to listen, but it has to do with something being chopped off or stopped chopped off or stopped. So what, hap- what Paul is saying there, you remember that? So what Paul is saying there, if the husband and wife are feuding and there's not harmony in the house, you're not going to say in the middle of an argument, hold my hand, let's pray. <laughs> so what Paul is saying, that your prayers not be chopped off or, or stopped to God together, live in harmony together and, and forgive each other so that your prayers are joined together to God. That's what that's saying. But God himself is not stopping hearing or doing or answering. Is that? Okay. All right, cool. Uh, could you um, also say that the scripture that says, uh, how could you walk together unless they be in agreement or not? Could that play into that? It, it kind of plays. If they're not, you know, like you said, if they're kind of fighting, you know, well, okay, we're going to agree. Yeah, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a general principle. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good general principle in the scripture that you know, it's, it's common sense. How can you walk together unless you agree to go in the same direction? That's what that means. Like if you're going to walk down the country road and you want to walk to the left and the other person wants to walk to the right, you can't walk together. So that's just a general truth that says if you're going to walk together, you've got to be agreed. And that's, you can take that to mean to speak to many things like the gospel of grace. I mean, it's hard to walk together with a legalist, you know, even though they're believe, even though they're a brother. But if they have the Galatian mindset and they're all steeped in law, it's hard to walk together, you know, because you got God telling you one thing and they're, they're thinking some other thing. So, yeah, that's a good state. That's a good tr- general truth about just unity. OK, so let's jump into um, the question about the heart, the new heart. Um, first of all, let's let's pray together and we'll get going.
Did Patsy make it today? Patsy was going to try to come today. A friend of, a friend of Hazel's was going to try to, make, to try to visit today. She might be coming later. Lord, thank you so much for teaching us. It's so true that we need no man teach us. But the anointing which abides within us shall lead us into all truth. We need no man teach us. But the anointing that abides within us shall lead us into all truth. Lord, help us rely on your spirit. Let us not lean to our, <clears throat> our own understanding, but receive from you wisdom that comes from above. Wisdom that is peace, peaceable and full of mercy. Easily received. Thank you, Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit to open our spirit. For we have become one with you. For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. An open door. An open window. With no barrier. For nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is now in Christ Jesus. And we are in Christ Jesus. By your hand. Thank you, Father, that our life is hidden with Christ inside of God. Father, help us see the new heart. Help us see this awesome work of the new covenant. Help us understand this awesome, amazing thing that took place. For only God, for only God can give a man a new heart. Thank you, Father, for this awesome reality. Help us walk in this truth and rest in this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> the scripture says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Um, and what he's saying there, it is, it's got the heart of man as Born naturally, a person born naturally into the world, like all of us were born naturally from the race of Adam, born from our parents when we became a human being in the natural, we came into this earth without a pure heart. We came into this heart, we inherited the sin, the line of sin, the power of sin, the iniquity from our fathers, which started with Adam and Eve. And so David says, in iniquity I have been conceived. In iniquity I have been conceived. The only person that could say, the only person that could say I have not been conceived in iniquity on this planet ever in the history of the world was Jesus himself. Because the power of sin or the old nature, the iniquity, is carried through the blood. And the blood comes to the baby through the father. Doctors will tell you that the, the, uh, it's, the, it's the blood, it's the father's chromosomes that bring the blood. Jesus had no earthly father, so he did not inherit the iniquity of the human race. He, as he said of Satan, he comes to tempt me, but he has nothing in me. Jesus himself, only Jesus, walked as a man without sin in himself. No iniquity was in him. Because his father was the father from above. 
great mystery, but that's why it had to be a virgin birth. Even the womb is awesome. The womb is, is made in such a way, doc, doctors will tell you, and, and mothers know this, the womb is made in such a way where the, the baby has its own system within the, the mother. That's why the baby can have a different type of blood than the mother. The baby could have type O and the mother have type A because it's a whole different system. The mother's blood does not mix with the baby's blood. God did that on purpose so that Jesus himself, Jesus, see all of, as we've said a thousand times, all of creation speaks of the invisible things of God. This is not just a nice example. God made it this way so he could bring his son into the world. I mean, he was slain before the foundation of the world. So all of creation was made based on the blueprint of Christ. You see? Everything that was made was made by him and for him, Paul says in Colossians. So everything, even the seed, the concept of a seed was made speaking of him. Falling into the ground and coming forth speaks of death and resurrection and life. Even the way plants get their energy by just beholding the sun, the light. And, the, you know, we talk about uh, photosynthesis. Scientists put a word on it. They say this is photosynthesis where the, the light of the sun uh, touches the, the, uh, the leaves and the leaves turn light into glucose, sugar. And the plant can feed on light because of a chemical reaction in the plant's leaves. That's why the sunflower follows the sun and moves because God made it that way. It all speaks of the Christ. You see, the earth is opening her mouth in this day, in this generation. The earth is opening her mouth and swallowing the flood of the dragon's mouth, from the dragon's mouth. You see, Revelation 12. Because revelation of Christ is exploding in all that's been created. So the baby, the, a baby is in a womb with a separate system so that Jesus could come into our realm without iniquity. Which is awesome. It's also a picture of how we are born of the Spirit. For, for Mary's, Mary's experience with the Christ child is a small microcosm of what happens to every believer. The Word comes to her. She believes that Word. The Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, and that which would be born of you shall be called the Son of God. That's what happened to you. See, that's what happened to me. All of God. It's a miracle. She simply believed be it unto me according to thy word. See, a picture of how Jesus comes and how the incarnation takes place in you. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. That word has now become flesh again in you. So Christ now lives through you. The word has become flesh in you again as you and I walk. So anyway, so this, this concept of being born in, or conceived in iniquity is a, is a picture of the human, the fallen human nature that we all inherit. And Jeremiah talks about that when he says, um, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Um, so that's the condition, the condition of our heart. Uh, Psalm 51, that's the condition of our heart before Christ. Um, Psalm 51 talks about David yearning for a, a he said, create in me a new heart. Create in me a, a willing spirit. Create in me, blot out all my transgressions and create, create, create in me a new heart. David longed for this, this work of a creation of a new heart in him because he knew he could, not, um, he could not pull it off. He could not live the way he wanted to live. And so he asked God to just blot out his transgressions and create a whole new heart in me. This is an amazing thing that has taken place that we have not really seen, I believe, in the body of Christ as a whole. 
God created. See, he didn't do this for the angels. The scripture says God does not redeem the angels. There's no redemption for the angels. When the third of the angels rebelled against God and fell, he didn't say, I will create a new heart for the angels. He didn't say that he, he, have, he has reserved in chains and for judgment for the angels that fail. He did not redeem the angels, Hebrew says, but the sons of Abraham he did, meaning the people of faith. So God so loves his weak creation, our weak man who is made a little lower than the angels, lower than the angels. He loves us so much that his bride that he, he has prepared and had prepared from the beginning a redemption for us, even in our fall, knowing that that was going to happen. For in that, in his wisdom, he would reveal his goodness and his grace through the fall. And so he had prepared to, to create again. He had prepared to create again. That's what I think the Father meant when he spoke from the heavens the last time to the Son. When it was audible and you could hear it. We know three times that the Father spoke audibly from the heavens when Jesus heard and others around heard. Three times. The first time was in, with John the Baptist when he began his ministry and the Father spoke, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The second time was on the Mount of Transfiguration when John and Peter and James were there with Jesus. And the Father came and as they, as after they saw Elijah and Moses and, Mo, and Peter got all excited about seeing Moses and Elijah that he wanted to build three temp, temp, uh, tabernacles or tents to commemorate the event, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus as, Jesus, as if Jesus was on the same level as the prophets and the law. And, of course, the Father would have none of that. And the Spirit of God filled the place so awesomely. And this voice came for the, third, for the second time out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And Moses and Elijah were not there anymore. It was all because Moses symbolizing the law and Elijah symbolizing the prophets were a picture of the law and the prophets speaking of the Christ. For the law and the prophets were, were proclaimed until John the Baptist, but now the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed. See, the law and the prophets were until John, but now the kingdom of heaven is proclaimed because what the law and the prophets pointed to was here. Jesus himself bringing the kingdom, bringing the, 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 the realm of heaven to us. So the, th- so the third time the Father spoke from the heavens is when Jesus is about to go to the cross. And Jesus heard the Father speak. And first Jesus was praying to the Father. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your name. Glorify me that you, your name may be glorified. In other words, honor this work that, that you have sent me to do that you may be glorified. What was that work? That work was the, the end of the creation. It was the termination of the Adamic race on the cross. It was the end of the Adamic race. And in the resurrection, it was the beginning of a new race. So in his death would be the end of the Adamic race, for he tasted death for all men. He plunged the whole human race into judgment on the cross, just as in Noah's flood when all flesh was blotted out a picture of Christ. And then in his resurrection, he would begin again a new creation in him. Not of this earth, but from the last Adam, Paul says. Another Adam has come. Another beginning. Another beginning. So he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father, glorify your name. And this is what the Father said. And I think, this, I know, I think I know what he meant by this. Now, some people heard 
this voice, and they said it thundered. And we talked about that one morning, how sometimes the voice of God sounds like thunder. But some people heard his words. So it's, it's really important for us to, to be able to hear him. And I think a key to hearing his voice is our sense of need of him. Those who don't see their need of him heard, heard thunder. Wow, it thundered. And they went about their, their, their busy lives. But the one who is really in need of God, without his words, I cannot live. I must hear from him. They heard him. It's that, it's that simple, saints. It's according to our need that the heart is open to hear. So the father spoke and the father said this. The father said, I have both glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Very simple, but very deep with meaning. I, I, I mean, when, the, when God speaks from the heavens, it's big. And he only spoke it three times that we know ver- audibly that other men could hear it. As, as far as before the resurrection, because Jesus, we know, spoke from the heavens and spoke to Paul. But, um, but before the, the cross and the resurrection, here is the Father speaking three times. The first two times, he's just pointing to the Son. But this third time, the Son, he and the Son are talking and though he is speaking to the Son, he's letting others hear it. I believe what the Father was saying when he said, I have both glorified my name and I will glorify it again. The again part is God telling the Son, we're starting over. Behold, a new thing is coming. Behold, a new creation, my son, you will surely bring to pass. I will glorify my name again. We will terminate the whole human race. We will terminate the evil heart. And a new race will be raised and a new heart will be given in fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel. And I've got to get that site for you guys, but it's in Ezekiel. If someone wants to look that up, Ezekiel's the promise of the new heart. Behold, the days come, Ezekiel says, when I will wash you with clean water and I will put a new spirit within you and a new heart within you. And you shall walk in my ways because of this new heart, this new heart. The prophecy of Ezekiel, that was coming. Jeremiah prophesied of this too. The same Jeremiah that said, our heart is deceitfully wicked. The same Jeremiah said, for the Lord, in the, the day is coming when the Lord will take out the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. Now what that means, it doesn't mean flesh in the bad sense of the word that we think spirit and flesh. What that verse is saying there, the stone speaks of death. Ephesians says, Paul says to the Ephesians that those who are not in Christ are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life that is in God. That's how we were. Through the hardness of our heart, our evil hearts, we had no connection with God. We couldn't understand the things of God. The natural man thinks the things of the spirit of foolishness. So Jeremiah is saying, the day is going to come. A new covenant is coming. Jeremiah said it this way. He says, the Lord is going to make a new covenant with Israel, not like the covenant he made with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. Not like that one. Not like law. Not like Sinai. As the Hebrew writer says, the writer to the Hebrews says, we have not come to Mount Sinai. We have not come to that mountain where Moses was fearful and, and shook because of the awesomeness of that mountain. We have come to Mount Zion, a different mountain, a heavenly mountain. 
So even Jeremiah said that God was going to change the heart in this new covenant that was coming. So when he said, I'll take out the stony heart and put it in the heart of flesh, what he was saying was, I'm taking out the heart that is dead, stone, and put in a beating, living heart. So in, this, in that sense, the word flesh means a good thing. It means, it means living blood instead, as opposed to stone. So all, this, all this, these promises were spoken to, to Israel and to the world, really, of a new thing that was coming, a new heart, a new creation. That God would say that I'm going to glorify my name again. A whole new creation is coming. Okay. Paul talked about the circumcision of the heart. He said the heart that we've been circumcised. In, in, in Romans and also in Philippians he says that we are not um, those who are uh, boast in the uh, circumcision of the flesh. But a circumcision of the heart. When you, when you hear the phrase circumcision of the heart, circumcision, spiritual circumcision is a two-sided coin. Colossians says that we were cut away, that the body of the flesh was cut away. Colossians says the body of the flesh was cut away by the hand of God in spiritual circumcision. Colossians says we were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ. Through his death, God was able to cut away our flesh, cut away our body of flesh. Through the circumcision of Christ or death of Christ, we were able to die, as the scripture says. So circumcision, spiritual circumcision has two sides to it. The same, side, the, the same coin, but two sides of the same coin. Flesh is being cut away, but also the heart is being cut away. See? So the heart, the inner man, is being cut away from the outer man, as well as the outer man being cut away from the inner man, but it's the same cut. You see? So when you hear the phrase circumcision of the heart, that means... The same thing as circumcision of the flesh. Same thing. It means that one, in one side of the coin is the flesh is being cut away from the heart. And another phrase means the heart is being cut away from the flesh. Circumcision of the heart. Okay. So what, what God did was, as we know, we've, been, we've talked about this many times, is that he literally removed... Well, first he did this. First, we were dead. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. We had a stony heart, so to speak. We had no spiritual life in us. Um, remember now, saints, that God in the beginning in the garden, he was not in Adam. He walked with Adam in the garden. But when God breathed into Adam, he created in Adam, who was just a clay, a, a person made of dirt, clay. Um, it was a body that was ready for life, but it had no life in it. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life from God's own spirit, God's own spirit. By doing that, he caught, it was an intimate thing that he was, he was taking his own breath and creating in Adam a human spirit. And the reason why we talked about that before is because God wanted to join himself to man. For God is spirit, Jesus said. So we, to, for God to be in man and man to be in God, man must be spirit. Because of the two otherwise cannot meet, cannot join. So God created in man a human spirit by breathing into him. But that was the creation of a human spirit that was not God coming into Adam. Not yet. Adam would walk with God. God would come into the cool of the garden. God would walk with Adam. He was made in his image. He was innocent. There was no sin. God could fellowship and be with him. He could be with God. Um, but he was not in Adam. Had he taken of the tree of life, had he eaten of the tree of life, that would have put God inside of Adam. Because that is a picture of Christ. That's a picture of the life of God. 
joining himself to man. That's why we see in the book of Revelation the tree of life reappearing in the, in the book of Revelation and the crystal clear water of the river of life flowing from the tree of life. That's a picture of Christ himself in our union with him now. But Adam did not have God in him. So what happened when Adam fell, when he took into his body the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in a, an attempt to become like God without God is what the essence of the sin was, to become like God without God, believing the lie of the enemy, it corrupted the heart. It corrupted the heart in a mysterious way. The scripture calls it the mystery of iniquity. It's the mystery of iniquity. So that bending away from God and bending toward ourselves is what really happened. The bending of selfishness, of, of self-love, the bending to self and not, not the, the openness to God as we were made to be. That's what the divine nature reverses. The divine nature reverses because Christ came with this love for the Father where he says, I can do nothing without the Father. The Father is my life. I live by him. As I live by the Father, you're going to live by me. You're going to see this whole new way of love. As you receive love from him, you love him back. And you live as you were meant to, to live in this, this love affair with God. The divine nature, see, we've been made a partaker of the divine nature now in Christ, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust means self-love. The corruption comes through self-love. Selfishness brings corruption in relationships and in the world itself. So we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through self-love with this, or selfishness with this great love of God that is all giving, you know, giving, 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 giving. For God so loved that he gave. That's the nature of this divine, this divine love. So then you have... Um, the divine nature. Then, then we were talking about the, the Adam. Adam did not have God in him. Okay. What happened, saints? That's why when Jesus was raised from the dead, the scene in John where he breathed upon the disciples, it was the beginning of the new creation. See, it actually didn't begin at Pentecost. The first fruits, the first fruits, and the reason why God did this, it's recorded that Jesus breathed on the, the, the disciples, the ones he had called out. The apostles, he breathed on them in the Gospel of John, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? Why did he breathe on them? Why did they have this scene where, the, where Jesus breathed on them and, and said, receive the Holy Spirit? It was the same act that God breathed on Adam in the beginning. God breathed on Adam and became a living soul. Now, Adam became a living soul because he was not, God was not joined to Adam. But what happened in that moment that John records is amazing because what Jesus did when he breathed upon the apostles, they didn't just become a living soul. They were already a living soul, but a fallen living soul. What he did was actually recreate them by the spirit of his own breath, the resurrected man. So now you had a man with a man's spirit, with God's spirit coming and joining to a man's spirit. God cannot join directly to a man's spirit. It had to be a man and a, had to be the God man, the God man who had a both human and, and God's divine spirit joined together. That's the mystery of this whole incarnation. See, so God could then, it could touch the human, humanness of Jesus could touch the humanness of man. And in the humanness of Jesus, his spirit flowed the divine power of God. And that could not be done without redemption and without a man exactly like Jesus. So when he breathed upon the apostles, he was, they were created new in him, a new creation, a new heart. 
A new heart was created in that moment. And that, and he had, and he literally, this is what Paul said happened. He literally cut away the body of the flesh. This, this thing is big. I would imagine what they did was just fall to the ground and weep, maybe wept or just not necessarily cried, but I mean, this is huge. I mean, when they came to get him in the garden and they said, are you Jesus? Are you the, are you the one? And he said, I am. Just by saying I am, they all fell back. I mean, this is powerful. This is the act. This is the beginning act of creation after the work has been accomplished and he's breathing upon. I mean, if, if the spirit of Pentecost comes with such power that it sounds like a mighty rushing wind and that men are as if they were drunk with the power of the spirit at nine in the morning, how much more in this intimacy of Jesus and his apostles, the first fruits of the new creation? I mean, I don't know. John doesn't go into a lot of detail, but this was amazing. This was the beginning, the first fruits of the new creation when he breathed upon them. And so they became a new creation with a new heart. Now, this is what's so cool about, about what God did. And if, you, if we don't understand this, then we will confuse flesh and heart. Flesh and heart. Before Christ, let's read that verse. Who found that verse for me, uh, Matthew? Yeah, 15, Matthew 15, 18. Let's read that real quick. Matthew 15, 18. This is when they were talking about, the disciples were talking about, um, you know, whether they should eat certain foods and what's, what's uh, holy, what's not holy to eat or not to eat. And Jesus is trying to explain to them what the reality, what the reality is, what the truth is in the spirit. Look at chapter 15, if you would, of Matthew. Chapter 15, let's start with verse 10 to get the context. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, hear and understand. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say to you, hear and understand? Because, you know, whatever he says next, you're going to understand. Isn't that cool? I mean, before he said, before he explained something, he would say, hear. He would say, hear this, Steve, and understand. And then Steve's like all ears, and he's like, whatever he says next, he's going to get. It's so cool. All right. Hear and understand, verse 11, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man. What, not what enters into the mouth. Not, it's not what you eat, you know, dry chicken, dry turkey, whatever. No, it's not. What he's talking about here is the Jewish law of, you know, you don't eat pork and that kind of stuff. Um, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? They were offended because the Pharisees were all about the scene. You see, the law is all about the scene and grace is all about the unseen. The law is all about the scene. Grace is all about the unseen. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant shall be rooted up. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter answered and said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Okay. So, before his work, he's speaking before his work, before the new heart had come. He's basically saying the same thing Jeremiah said, that out of the heart comes evil. So, what defiles man is not what he does, but what comes out of the heart. So then, what he says here is that, later he says, either make the tree good or make it evil. If you have a good tree, it will bear good fruit. An evil tree will bear evil fruit. The heart is a picture He's referring to here, the tree is like a picture of the heart. In other words, that's why he said to Nicodemus, you can't be, I mean, you can't do enough to be good enough. You cannot do enough to be good enough. You must be born again. You must be born from above. You must be recreated. You must get a new heart. You must become a good tree so that within, that, that which is in you gets out as a matter of a fruit of what's in, as opposed to you trying to make things happen from the outside in. It's always from the inside out that God works, from the inside out. Okay, so this verse many times is used to cause the Christian to search their heart for sin, and they read verses like this, and they think, wow, that sounds like me, it's in my heart. No, saints, listen, this is so cool. The apostles understood what God did. He literally quarantine the power of sin in our mortal bodies. It's called the flesh by the apostles. You and I have truly been created new in him. You have received the promise of Ezekiel, the new heart, the new spirit. We've been washed with clean water according to the prophets. How? The clean water there is the gospel, the work of Christ. The pure water there is the the only thing that can wash us is the blood of Christ. The scripture says in Revelation, they wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Ephesians says, you are washed by the washing of the word of the gospel. See, washed by the word of the gospel. See, in Ephesians, Ephesians 5. So, God washed everybody who would believe. If you believe on Jesus, you are washed by his blood. And then you are given a new spirit, a new heart. God recreates anew. The scripture says we were dead in our sins. He raises the dead, and calls into being, Paul says, that which did not exist before. That's the act of creation, the new heart. So he circumcises the heart and circumcises the flesh. Same coin, two sides of it. He cuts the flesh away, cuts the heart away from the flesh, so that the inner man now is totally separate from the outer man. Much like the baby in the womb of a mother. Totally separate. So we're now totally separate. We have a different life system than what's on earth. We have our life system is Christ himself, our life. But we do occasionally walk after the flesh and manifest the sins of the flesh, which are still warring against the real you. The spirit, the scripture says that the power of sin wars against the soul. It wars, James says it wars against the real you. And Paul says if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because that's not really who you are. Paul says in Romans 7, he, he learned in Romans 7, he got a revelation that the power of sin that was in him was not in him, but in my flesh, in my members. So you've got to make this transition in your understanding of the new covenant. You can have, you can have um, these thoughts 
of these sinful thoughts and fleshly thoughts before Christ, and they're, they're, they're coming from your heart. They're coming from the center of your, be, your being, of my being, because I was born in iniquity. It's coming from the heart. But the moment you believe this awesome work of God, when you believe on Jesus, what happens is that we really literally are translated. We actually were crucified with Christ. This is the great mystery of Christ in, in his work. This is, where it's all, this is where it's all at. I mean, this is where religion can't touch this. This is a revelation that totally boggles the mind. And it can only be understood by the Spirit of God. These are the things of God. These are the deep things of God. The Scripture says the Spirit is given to show us the deep things of God. Only the Spirit can, can tell us the thoughts of God and reveal these things to us. You can't think hard enough to get this. That's why it's available to even the most uneducated, the, the youngest of the planet, the youngest on the planet, the poorest of the planet, the most uneducated of the planet. They all can get it because they all have a spirit. You see, it's not a matter of not many wise, not many noble, not many educated or chosen because they, they, in fact, the more education you have, the more difficult it is for you to believe the simplicity of what God did. For unless you become as a little child, you should not come into the kingdom of heaven because you'll not believe this awesome work that God has done, but a child shall believe it. Isn't it awesome? See, it's so cool. It's like everybody has a spirit, like the prophet Elihu in the book of Job. He thought that all these advisors of, of Job would be wise. He says, but, but there is a spirit in man, Elihu says. There is a spirit in man, and inspiration from the Almighty gives us understanding. So anybody on the planet, anybody, regardless of gender, of wealth or no wealth, or race, or uh, education, whatever it is, everybody has a spirit, and God can reveal himself to every single person. So the spirit of God literally has brought us through death. He has raised us from the dead in this, in this awesome touching of the, of, the, of the Spirit of God to our, our spirit, joined us to himself, and that's the moment we'll become new and joined to him. This new heart, this new creation, is now a branch on a vine we have been made a partaker of the divine nature now so that when you and I sin now as a believer, distinguish between flesh and spirit. Never think that's coming from your heart. That's why you're so distraught when you do sin. You know why you're distraught? You know why you feel the grieving or sadness of the Holy Spirit? Because you have a new heart. Because it's not you. That's not the real you. You're acting like some, something that's not you, and you're distraught about it. And that's why it's very, important to not, it's very important to know there's no condemnation. It's very important to know you can run boldly to a throne of grace to find help and, t- and mercy in time of need as we work this thing out, as we work this salvation out, as what is inside of us gets out. It, it takes time to learn to live by another within it is foreign to our way of thinking. Jesus said, come learn of me. That, that implies a, proce- a process. Come learn of me. It's a process. What do we learn? We don't, we, see, we're not learning to be more righteous. We're not learning to be more holy. We're not learning to be more, you know, better. We're not learning so we can, God will love us more. No, that's the wrong track of thinking. No, we are. It is. We are holy. We are righteous. We are in union with him. We do have a new heart. All these truths, these awesome riches in Christ. But we are learning how to live by another within. 
And I'll tell you this, saints, your new heart is, is hardwired to live by God. It's hardwired that way. The son said, I can do nothing without, without the father. He goes, I live by the father. I love to live by the father. I love to eat and drink of my father. Remember we talked about how spiritual food is eating and drinking of Christ? And just as in the natural, it's a pleasurable thing to eat food. You know, no one has to, you know, twist your arm to go have a steak at Ruth Chris. Nobody has to twist your arm to go have a vanilla milkshake with a cherry on top. Nobody has to twist your arm to go eat, you know, some, whatever your favorite meal is. Sushi? No, really? I got to go eat sushi? Okay. You know, eating in the natural is a pleasurable thing because it speaks of an invisible spiritual reality. If your eating of Christ is not a pleasurable thing, you're eating wood, hay, and stubble, and you're, you're eating law. No wonder you don't like it. Because it's not your meal. It's not the bread of the sons and daughters of God. The bread of the sons and daughters of God is Christ. And it's full of life and full of peace and full of the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. But the mindset on the flesh is death. See? So as we abide in this reality, he says, the Lord says, come learn of me. That Your new heart is hardwired to live by another. That's why he said, take my yoke upon me. I mean, upon you, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What's he ta- what he's talking about there, I know I've said this before, but really receive this. What he's talking about there is that a yoke joins you to, to another person. That's why it says of marriage, don't be unequally yoked. Okay, so a, a yoke joins you to another person or another entity or whatever. That's what the concept of a yoke. He says, take my yoke upon you. The Pharisees, he was using the phrase the Pharisees used in his day. The Pharisees said, yoke yourselves up to the law and please God. Yoke yourselves up to the law. Join yourself to the law. Commit yourself to the law, to Torah. Yoke yourselves up to Torah and that's the secret to life. Jesus changed that and he said, no, don't yoke yourself up to Torah. Yoke yourself up to my yoke. What is your yoke, Jesus? What are you, this is the question, what are you yoked up to? What are you joined to? He said it a thousand times, what his yoke was. The works that I do are not my works, but the Father in me does the works. The words that I speak are not my words, but the words of my Father speak through me. He was yoked to his Father. He said, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And when I finish my work, you shall be in me and I shall be in you. And as I live by the Father, so shall you live by me. See it? See, union. So what are we learning about this union? I am meek and lowly of heart. That, saints, is the posture we take when we live by another life within. We have a new heart that's joined to him. And we learn how he lived, meek and lowly of heart. What does that mean? It means a life of complete dependency. Not impulsive to do your own thing, but meek and lowly of heart. Meaning a a constant awareness that without him I can do nothing. Without him I can do nothing. Without him I can do nothing. But in him I can do all things. In him I can do all things. For Christ strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak in him, the power of Christ rests upon me. Without him, I can do nothing. 
He is the branch. I mean, I'm the branch. He is the vine. Without him, I can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can bear no fruit. See, So the constant growing awareness, meek and lowly, we're learning of him. Oh, this is how he lived by the Father. He lived by the Father. Now I've got a new heart. He has given me a new heart. I'm joined to him. I'm living by him. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning how to live by another's life. This is so cool. And it's not hard. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because another is carrying the load. See? It's not a matter of us doing it. It's a matter of him doing it through us as we... As we live in a romance, this romance of God, called into the fellowship of the Father and the Son, we are being loved by Him, beloved by Him. Lay your, hand, your head on His chest every night. Lay your head on His chest as John did. John laid his head on the chest of Jesus. Lay your head on His chest. As, and like David, he said, I will sit on your lap. I will sit on your lap, God. I am like a child. These things are too, too great for me. This world is too much for me. I, I, I'm like a child on your lap. That's what God loves, and that's what God ministers to, and that's what through that comes great wisdom, great power, great strength, because it's God's strength, God's life, God's power coming through us, through your new heart. But when you and I stumble and we sin and we, we mess up, saints, you've got to remember that it's not, that's not you. God has moved the power of sin to the flesh, and that is the flesh. And that's why Paul talks about flesh and spirit. That's what Jesus meant when he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's got an evil heart. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's got a new heart. Remember who you are. Rest in who you are. And know that you have a new heart. This is the awesome promise of the new covenant. It has come. Enjoy it. Don't let the enemy say you have an evil heart ever, 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 ever again. And don't search your heart for sin, for there is no sin in that heart. Romans 8 says the Spirit of God searches the heart. And what does he find? He finds the groanings of God who is there, for he prays according to the will of God. And we, for he knows what his, God's mind is. We don't even know sometimes how to pray. We pray with utterances too deep to be articulated. But the Spirit who searches the heart knows the heart of God. That Spirit that searches your heart doesn't see sin. He sees the heart of God in you. It's awesome. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see this. Helping us see this. Oh, what an awesome work of the new covenant. Behold, behold, I make all things new. Come to me, all you are thirsty and weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Ah, it's better than we ever dreamed. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.